You know battling food in your body doesn't work. You want to love and accept yourself. And because you're insatiable, you want results too. And wouldn't you know, you bring the same intensity to your life. Wanting to maximize your time, potential, and experiences you have here on this beautiful and wondrous planet Earth. Fair warning, it will be a roller coaster. But for those insatiable, that's your prime time to thrive. We're here to say yes to the hunger of wanting it all. I'm your co-host, Ali Shapiro, a health coach who helps people end the losing battle of dieting and find a truce with food. And I'm Juliette Berg, nutritionist, fitness expert, and the co-owner of Unite Fitness Studio Franchise. Episode three, good carbs versus bad carbs. I don't know about you guys, but I used to be majorly carbophobic. There is so much negative attention surrounding carbs in the health and fitness world that most of us think by just looking at a bagel, we gain five pounds. In today's episode, we discuss the good, bad, and ugly of carbs and clear up your confusion once and for all. Exciting, Allie. Are you there? I am. I am. And just you talking about good carbs and bad carbs, uh, it's kind of funny. I was, you know, heading to update my website. I updated my about page. And to do it, I wanted to kind of go back and put myself in the place of when I was struggling with food. And so I went back and read my journals from like 1999 and 2000 and like, oh my God, it was so much worse than I remember. My Like my journals really turned into food diaries and like how much I hated carbs and like all this stuff. Yet when I looked at my food diary, I had this recollection that I was eating relatively healthy except for a couple of items. Oh my God, I wasn't eating healthy at all, Juliet. And it was all because of carbs. <laughs> really? It's so funny that you say that. You're reminding me of food journals that I'm in my life, mostly like high school and college, but I can't even look at them anymore because when they're, they're, they make me so sad inside. It's like I'm reading somebody else's journal. I don't know if you feel that same way, but it's like today I ate this and I feel so bad and now I need to go run on a treadmill and it's just like, oh my God, it's so, it's so depressing. I know, I know. And like, you know, it was so funny too, because I was talking to one of my really good friends from um, college and, uh, and, and afterwards, and I was like, Hey, check out my new about page. And she texted me. She was like, Oh my God, it was so funny. And it, it so describes you. And she goes, what's funny is, you know, in, cause I, I lived a lot of places in my twenties. She's like, I never remember your weight. She goes, I remember all the fun things we did, all the neat places you traveled. And like, I had no idea that you, I knew you cared about your weight, but I didn't know that you struggled so much. And I wrote back to her and I said, I know that's what's crazy is like I, we were great friends and she would have never judged me, but this, it was like this private life that I, you know, even though I felt like I talked about it all the time, I didn't share how crazy I was except in my journal. And it was just so sad, you know, for her. And, and I bet she was like a lot of people who never remember what I weighed back then, but it was like all I could think about. So I think that's for most people. It is a really private topic for most people. It feels really personal and it feels really judgmental towards yourself. And then you don't want other people to judge you for it. And you feel a little bit crazy. So I, I, I think that a lot of people out there, that's how they feel like they don't want to talk about it. Even when I have counseling sessions with people, it's like, I feel like the magician pulling the scarf out, you know, it's like, okay, pull a little bit out and then a little bit more. And then it all comes out eventually. But it takes a little kind of like caressing just for someone to feel comfortable enough to 
to talk about their battle with food. Totally. I had, was just with a client yesterday and it was only our second session. And she said to me, she's like, you know, when I, I have people fill out a food journal, but it's not like, it's not the food journal I was filling out and getting no results. It was more about how do you feel in your body instead of like the mental definition of good. And she's like, you know, I really, I, I was hesitant to lie to you. She's like, but then I was like, that's not going to help me. It's not going to help you help me. And I was like, I'm so glad you shared that. I was like, and you're not the exception, just so you know. But yeah, so I, it's, it's something that's very hard. Even if you're paying and wanting the support, it feels like such shame when, oh, Do you know. find that people lie to you when they tell, when they just recall what they're eating and how they're doing? Mm-hmm. Can you see through that a little bit? What I find, and it's often a pattern that I do, um, is they don't lie, but they stop tracking at all. Like, oh, I just got busy. And like when I looked at my journal, it was like there would be like weeks missing. And then it would be, and then like that first entry back would be like, okay, I'm back from the insanity. Like what just happened? <laughs> you know? And so I, I find people think like, oh, you know, food worked while I was tracking it, but then I stopped tracking it. So, so now it's not working. And I'm like, well, there's a reason you stopped tracking it. So, um, and you don't, and and you have to make sure you're measuring the right things, which I'm so glad we're talking about good carbs, bad carbs today, because I think it's, it brings up what are we measuring? So, but before we get to that, what's up in your world? Uh, I think I told you this earlier before we got on the call that I felt like it's Thursday since Monday. (laughs) I've been convinced it's a Thursday. It's just this week has been going by really fast. I think with all the the holidays coming up, clients are just desperate to kind of get their appointments in last minute. Our gym is crazy. I we're we're so nervous for New Year's right now because our studios are so packed that and New Year's is the you know always the busiest time for fitness that we don't even know what, what we're going to do during New Year's because people are probably not going to be able to get into classes and it's going to be a whole big thing. So <laughs> it's a little stress going on. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's great though that people aren't just saying, "Hey, see you in the new year and try to spend the whole winter undoing, you know, the holiday period. So that's, that's great. Yeah. I've had a lot of, a lot of people in December this year, which is normally a little bit quiet except for existing clients. So sounds like people are starting to realize this is something that <laughs> you have to exercise in food is something that you have to integrate into everyday life, not just periods yeah. of time. I also think the weather too, it's been so abnormally warm for this time of year that people aren't in hibernation yet. They're still in the mindset of we can go out and walk around in flip-flops and, and a t-shirt. So it's getting to the gym, eating cleaner foods, not eating heavy foods yet. That hibernation period hasn't started. So I think that's also part of it. Oh my God, that you are so right. And I think that's such an, a problem with carbs that people don't realize is that carbs often mimic the serotonin. <laughs> serotonin lift, we don't feel we're getting when it's cold and dark out. So yeah. let's let's talk about that. So I'm going to let you kick this off um, because I think, especially from a training perspective, you have such a precise view on carbs. So I'd love to hear, you know, you know, how many carbs, like, I don't count specific carbs for people because I'm, they're not in training, but like, how do you approach carbs, you know, with, with your clients or, or, or should we even start with like, how do you decide what a good or bad carb is? What do you think is the best? Yeah, I usually will spend one full session with a client on carbohydrates, because I do think that there is so much tension around the word carb. And most of the time people don't even realize 
what a carb really is, how you're defining a carb. And my favorite thing to tell people is that vegetables are carbohydrates. And they're like, oh my God, vegetables? I'm like, yeah, vegetables are carbohydrates. So you cannot escape carbohydrates. You can't be on a no carb or even really a low carb diet if you're going to be eating clean and healthy. So I'll usually go over kind of what carbohydrates are first, starting with, you know, dividing them up really, really simply for people. You don't need to be talking a bunch of like medical scientific jargon. I think that if you can just remember it really simply that there's simple carbs and there's complex carbs and kind of vegetables are almost in there. I always think of vegetables almost in their own category outside they're they're micronutrients, right? I consider them something almost like their own magical category, vegetables in my, are vegetables in my world. So simple carbs, complex carbs, simple. I always equate to it being something that is fast burning carbohydrate. You, you know, something with, with fast sugars in it. So processed foods are going to be simple carbohydrates, any kind of processed carbohydrate. So we're talking about, you know, breads, um, pastas, um, any kind of processed cracker, cake, pastry, muffin, all that stuff. Uh, and then fruit is also a simple carbohydrate. And people will always be like, wait a minute, you just put fruit and a scone in the same category. That's, that's scary. And we'll talk about that more later. And I, I don't know about you, Ali, but I think there's a lot to say about fruit. And my clients often like, more and more asking, like, should I be eating this much fruit? Do you have, are you getting that same thing? Yeah. Well, I mean, a little bit. I mean, I, yeah. And, and I actually, tell them like it's fine but I really encourage people who want to lose weight in a healthy way to not have fruit at breakfast because if you know it just sets up your blood sugar which we talked about in episode two two or three um that just you you, it sets up your hunger differently all day but I'm not I I think if they like fruit you know by all means but I really encourage people to get it in season because you know like apples in the middle of winter off well depends on where you're getting them but if they want, really want that sweetness, make sure it's in season because then you're going to get what you want. So for, you know. Yeah. That, yeah. But well, I think. Nothing worse than getting a piece of fruit that isn't, in, isn't ripe and in season isn't good because then it doesn't even do the trick. And then it's just like a waste of, of, you know, sugar that you just ate. Totally. I want to back up for a second though, because you were saying, so in terms of simple carbs, um, because you think of them a little differently than I do. It's, it's just so interesting. And that's why I love like that we're doing this podcast together because, all, you know, I would consider both of us experts in our field and we look at them very differently. <laughs> not, I mean, not very differently, but how we approach them. Yeah. And you were saying like pastas and that kind of stuff. How do you feel? Like I always tell my clients to look for the 100% whole grain label, not just whole grain, but 100% whole grain. And if they can get something that has, you know, three or four grams of fiber, um, and no sugar added, that it really is a, a, a useful or a healthy carb, as I would call it. 100% agree with you. So when I'm talking about more simple carbs versus complex, let's take something like 100% whole grain versus whole wheat. So when we're talking about a bread, for example, a wheat bread is going to have a lot less fiber in it, and it's going to contain a lot more sugar than something that is 100% whole grain. So they're completely different categories. So I would always tell someone to look for that label on there. Um, and I will get into this more with you, my gluten queen, but I'm <laughs> going to have you talk about gluten because th- that's definitely your your forte. So Ali will get, talk to you guys about gluten-free and what that all means. Um, but so with complex carbohydrates, you are looking for more of that fiber content. 
Um, so beans, 100% whole grain, other grains, um, so brown rice, quinoa, and there are certain products. I'm not saying that you have to cut out processed food altogether because so process, when we say the word process, like what does that mean? Right. I feel like it, it means a multitude of things, like anything that's made, you know, in a factory, it's like processed, right? Yeah. I'm glad you said that because I had a client yesterday who we were working on switching up her macronutrients for lunch. And she was like, so can I have, what about the roll? And I was like, it, to your point, I, I was like, well, a lot of rolls when you're going to the corner bakery or, you know, these places, they'll, because they know consumers want like, they'll look for whole wheat or multi-grain, they have a lot of sugar added to them. And yeah. so I was saying there, like, go for a piece of like really good sourdough bread, right? <laughs> That's probably going to be less processed than like a generic wheat roll. And she was like, how did you know that? And I'm like, oh, I'm like, th that's such a great question, right? It's just from kind of looking at ingredients. Like, you know, yeah. I know at Panera, you can ask them, they have like an ingredient list for all of their foods. But I, I, I think it's important for everyone to realize, like, we have to do the research just like everyone else. There's no standard like bread that comes out of <laughs> of the, the bread sky, right? Bread heaven. <laughs> I mean, if you go down a bread aisle, there's like a hundred plus different kinds of bread. So it is really hard. I mean, one thing you can look for is the expiration date, right? The further the expiration date on something like that, like a piece of bread, usually the, the more processed it is. It has a lot of artificial ingredients that are going, that's going to keep it fresh longer versus something like a sourdough bread or a really good, you know, 100% whole grain bread. There's, it's going to mold after a week if you leave it out on the counter. So that's a really good indicator that that's something that's less processed. Um, but there's no like, this is processed, this isn't. You do have to do your research and know and ask. I just, you have to become curious about food and, you know, Google things and ask. And, you know, you're going to frequent at the same places a lot. So it's not like you're going to be doing this all the time. But in the beginning, you know, you should educate and know what you're eating. Yeah. And that is such a great point. The a client I was with uh, earlier this week was like, you know, she's like, everyone's been asking me, like, how's it going working with you? And she's like, I just told them the biggest thing is I'm unlearning so much stuff that I thought was healthy. And and I said, yeah. And she's like, I'm just looking at different things now. And, you know, I'm I'm just kind of she's kind of in shock. But like because she sent me her creamer, right? Her non-dairy creamer that she's like, I just have a little bit. But when I I said, well, I said, let's, let's take a look at the label. I said, most of those have, you know, four grams of sugar per tablespoon and four grams of sugar is the equivalent of a sugar packet. Mm -hmm. And she like sent me an email back and she had taken a picture of her creamer. And she's like, oh my God, because one tablespoon of carb or one tablespoon of creamer, right? When you, you think you're putting in a little bit, you're probably only putting in three or four tablespoons, which is not that much, but that's four packets of sugar. And she was like, oh my God, I thought this was, you know, neutral, not good or bad. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm helping her get in the practice of looking at those, not carbs for carbs sake, but the sugar added, the sugar alcohols, all of those things that like you said, are simple carbs um, and have her see that like, it, to your point across brands, it, it, it ranges so widely. And so I think a lot of people think they're supposed to know this stuff. And so they don't ask, but you just have to be comfortable asking, um, event, you know, and trust me, you're not the only one asking. I will say though, that, that often to kind of eliminate some of the overwhelm with clients, I really do. If they aren't gluten sensitive or intolerant or celiac, I recommend Ezekiel bread 
or any kind of sprouted bread because it does a lot of the guesswork out of things. Um, a lot of people like the texture off the bat. Some people have to work their way up to it. But if you're someone who's like nervous at being this detective thing right away, <laughs> um, I think the Ezekiel bread brand, which is in the freezer section because to Juliet's point, it has nutrients that are going to spoil like fiber. <laughs> yeah. So you need to preserve it. Um, so yeah, you can skip the bread aisle, right? <laughs> you can skip the bread aisle. Uh, unless there's a fresh bakery where you're going and they're making the bread fresh there, then it might be worth taking a look. Great point. That's a good point. Yes. Yeah. But don't yeah. be afraid to ask. And, and hey, this is like the era of the foodie, right? Like everyone wants to know where their food comes from. I think a lot of times my clients are afraid to ask because, and I just wrote like two pieces on this, on like self-conscious eating. Like they don't want to appear high maintenance. They don't want to look like they're on a diet. You know, all this stuff. Um, but realize like you're spending money on this stuff, you know, and, and people in the grocery store, especially Whole Foods, they're so knowledgeable. Like they're actually paid and educated to help you make the experience better. And once you do it a couple of times, you won't have to do it again. Oh, yeah. The, the people who work at Whole Foods love talking to me because nobody talks to them. And, oh. like, <laughs> and I'll be in the supplement aisle and, you know, and I'll, I'll just be like, hey, you know, let's talk supplements. Let's talk this. And they like talk my head off for like an hour. It's like, oh, you're one of the most interesting people I've talked to all day. So, <laughs> I know. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. So I want remind me, Allie, for us to talk about sugar alcohols, because that is a subject that's been coming up more and more lately uh, with my clients and having things that are quote unquote sugar free, but they're, but they have sugar alcohols in them. Things like protein bars, um, certain like ice creams that are even non-dairy, like there's coconut ice creams out there that are sugar free now. Uh, a lot of the chocolates that are made with stevia, but they're also made with sugar alcohol. So Remind me to talk about that in a little bit, but we'll we'll, we'll circle back to that. Um, yeah, we totally have to because my food diary that I looked at was all like sugar-free pudding, sugar-free this, zone bar. And I'm like, I can't believe I ate sugar alcohol. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I was because I was like, oh, sugar-free, trying to be healthy, right? So we'll t yeah, we should definitely talk about that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I had a client yesterday who realized when after looking at her food journal wow, I don't really eat a lot of like real food. Like all of this food I'm eating is pseudo healthy. Like it says it's healthy on the package in some way. It, so it's like reining me in and it's exciting because I'm like, oh, I get to eat that and it won't make me gain weight. But at the end of the day, like, am I actually doing good for my body? Is this healthy for me? She's like, I wouldn't feed this to my one-year-old son. So why am I feeding it to myself? And I'm like, that's a great uh, point there. I said to her, I need you to think about that every time. Like if, if you're not going to feed your son this food, then you probably shouldn't feed yourself this food. So, <laughs> so all of you have children out there, you know, if you're not feeding them the food, don't eat the food yourself. <laughs> yeah. So Juliet, what do you think? So you train athletes or, you know, or people who are working out at Unite or, I mean, that's a really intense workout. What do you think the different percentages are for people who are more sedentary like me, even though I work out and I'm relatively active or at least working on it, but I am not doing any kind of training. Like I can't even pretend that this, what I do is training. So how do you approach that? Cause you have a different range of clients. Well, I definitely think that every body is different. When we talked about blood sugar in our last episode, you have to start to pay attention to your blood sugar. Cause if you have sensitive blood sugar, then you probably have some sort of carbohydrate sensitivity. So you have to be a little bit careful about eating as many carbohydrates. 
So kind of, you have to do a little experimentation with foods. Um, I don't know if you still do this, Ali, but I do this sometimes with clients where I will give them like some, like an experiment with, okay, try this for breakfast, try that for breakfast, record how you feel after you eat it to kind of see how their blood sugar is doing. So you can sort of just try some different foods out for a little while, some that are higher carb, some that are more protein centric with more fat and kind of record like which one made you feel full longer, which one made you feel more stable and energized, those kinds of things. But for somebody who's sedentary, I will usually put them on not even, I never, I never call anything a low carb diet because you're going to, everybody's eating carbs, but I'll put someone more on like a 30 to 40% of their caloric intake. Um, so I mean, that depends on someone's age, height, size, all that. I do use like a BMR calculator to kind of decipher how many calories somebody needs in a day. Now these are all, these are ranges, right? But I'll use that to then determine like how many grams of carbohydrates they need. And if someone's sedentary, I'll usually give them 30 to 40% coming from carbohydrates. If somebody's more active, let's say they're like going to the gym three to five times per week, they're doing intense spinning classes or a lot of cardio or weights. I'll usually do more like 40 to 50% coming from carbohydrates. And then if somebody is, you know, a marathoner or they're doing more endurance work, they're doing, you know, a triathlon or I'll, I'll put them more on a 50 to 60%. I've never really gone above 60% because your body, you need to have fat and, and protein as well. Like you need your three macronutrients that your body needs are protein, carbs, and fat. So you have to make sure that you are getting all of those. Does that kind of answer your question? Yeah, yeah, no, I do something similar. Um, you know, there was a study that came out recently that talked about, I think they, it, forgetting where it was done right now, but these researchers studied, it was like 800 people and they realized that different, I mean, this is like shocking to the medical community, right? But you and I have been, <laughs> not to pat ourselves on the back, as I always say, it's so hard being ahead of your time, but the, the researchers found that different foods affected different people's blood sugar levels differently. So like tomatoes or something, you know, with one person, they, that does nothing to raise their energy, you know, their blood sugar levels, someone else it does a lot. So what I do is what you said um, from an experiment is, and this is what I teach in my Curb Your Afternoon Cravings program, is get people to know if they're a slow or fast burner, meaning, you know, fast burners do better with more protein centric, protein and fat centric meals, where slow burners do do better with the lighter proteins, but more carbohydrates. And so that's how I help people start to see what actually works for them. Because even though everyone's different, there's certain, like, there's kind of certain foundational things. So like, I'm someone who's a fast burner, meaning I have a fast metabolism. That does not mean that I am in like thin. Everyone thinks that fast metabolizers ha are like thin and can eat whatever they want. It actually just means I need thicker proteins. So when you're working with clients, you determine whether they're a fast or a slow burner. So you're really working with what their blood sugar is to to then determine what kind of carbohydrates they need, how much carb, how many carbohydrates they need. And I'm not someone to make somebody count calories, you know, log their food all the time. I really want this to be an intuitive process. In the beginning, I will sometimes use uh, an app to have them see how many grams of carbohydrates they're getting, just to make them aware of things, just, just to educate. And preface it with saying, this is not something I want you to do for a long period of time. This is really just educational and don't, don't worry so much about the numbers. It's for us to look at and for you to, to learn and really open up your eyes to, you know, 
what carbohydrates are what and how much you're getting and how maybe you need more, maybe you need less, all of that stuff. So, Well, and you bring up such a great point. You know, when people say intuitive eating, I think sometimes what people hear is, oh my God, is that eating whatever I feel like? But intuition, and we talked about this on the blood sugar episode, <laughs> we're having a lot of overlap. You know, intuition is based on patterns and your blood sugar is a pattern. So if you're someone who to your point, like maybe they need more carbs. I, I have clients who will sometimes, even though we we talk about adding carbs at lunch, they try to skip them. And then like at three o'clock, they're like, oh, I just had this huge bag of potato chips. And I'm like, that's because you skipped the carb at, at noon, you know, and and, and we and we laugh about it. And it's, it's a much more of a learning environment than like, what are you doing? But, um, but, but when you pay attention, like you're talking about, you start to just intuitively know like, okay, I definitely need that carb at lunch. Otherwise I'm going to crash, you know, three hours later. And one of the things that I I thought was really interesting is you were telling me and you know the afternoon is often when a lot of people get cravings for carbs this is when they kind of like spiral out of you know or or ruin their diet as my clients would say uh, in the beginning of us working together their language does change <laughs> but you know it's very eminent when when someone's in the thick of it with feeling guilty about food everything is is like i feel so bad i was so bad today i have to get back on track Oh my God. Right. Very, very much like imminent, like so much stress. Right. Right. But you were talking about, you know, the brain at the, in the afternoon, like we really need our brain power. And you were like telling me about like how important carbs are for the brain, which I agree with. And I'd love for you to like share that. Yeah. Well, our brain runs off of glucose, no matter how you look at it, like your brain is running off of carbohydrates. So you have to have a certain level even, you know, there, there are a lot of diets out there, which are very, very minimal carbohydrate diets, you know, where your body is creating ketones to run off of which your brain, you know, converts for fuel. But at the end of the day, no matter what, because you are eating vegetables and minimal carbohydrates, you need to have at least 30 grams just to function. And really, if you're not doing some crazy diet plan, which I, I don't recommend doing a diet like that, you know, unless you have some major reason. Autoimmune. Autoimmune. Also, um, there have been a lot of studies to show that that being in ketosis helps with, you know, autism and um, any other kind of like um, neurological disorder. But there's, you know, the research is, they're still doing a lot of research on that. But it, for, for, for just us regular folks, I don't think you need to go that route. It's very, it's, it's also, it's a lot, it's a lot of stress to do that for yourself. It takes a lot out of you. So what does 30 grams look like? Because I do not count grams or anything. So I'm like, what does 30 grams look like? Two slices of Ezekiel bread. (laughs) I mean, that is 30 grams right there. But you know, there's also uh, insoluble fiber in that bread. So as far as like your net carbs, which your body is actually utilizing for brain power is probably less than 30 grams with, with a bread like that. Um, but let's, let's use a banana for example, cause that's about 30 grams of carbs. And the banana has very minimal, minimal fiber that your body isn't using, using mostly sugars from the banana. So we'll say one banana as all your carbs for the day. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I don't really like bananas. So I'm just surprised at how that's, that's just really interesting to me. But I mean, that's a really low amount right there, 30 grams, you know, that's, that's extreme. And you better be eating a lot of fat in your diet to make up for that, to convert for fuel and energy because carbohydrates, our bodies are designed. That's your main source of brain energy and body energy to, pro- 
just to produce, you know, the ability to walk around and function and breathe and move and you know what I mean? So... But here's, we're going to have to do a whole episode on fats because, so I'm running this clean eating reboot, which, um, you know, was completely free and we were having a Facebook group and um, I, there's fats in it, right? And one of the, the participants was like, oh my God, avocados are like my new best friend. And I, I forgot about banana bread and my ice cream this week having these fats. Mm-hmm. And um, this it, it, like prompted a discussion, you know, someone was like, oh my God, I've added fats into my diet since May and I haven't gained any weight. It really works. And the person, this this person in the group was like, no, I, I, I get it. Like I was actually at my lowest weight. She was a high fat vegan. Um, and she was saying how like, but it just, the prep became so much. And, and I, in my mind, I'm like, it was probably the fat, not the being vegan that helped. <laughs> but, yeah. but she was saying that she, she understands on an, I like on a philosophical level that fat is healthy, but she was using sugar alcohols. And I, I would love to talk about this now because it just like, she was afraid of the calories, right? Even though she had had the, the physical experience of being at her lowest weight when she had more fat in there, that fear of like, well, I'm going to have to eat less and I can't control myself around food then prevents people from, okay, so I know I need 30 grams because what I feel like a lot of people will listen to and I can, and, and I'm putting myself back to where if I were like me 12 years ago, oh my God, 30 grams, all right, two pieces of Ezekiel bread and, I'm, and that, then I'm not going to add the fat. And even though you, I hear people telling me, I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. And then I'm going to crave more carbs because I don't have the fat. So, you know. What, well, let's what, just backtrack a little bit because 30 grams <laughs> is, like I was saying, really, really a minimum for your brain to be functioning. So if you want to just have like a minimum brain function and, <laughs> which, you know, who wants, we don't want minimum brain function. We, we have enough high. people out in the world with that going on. <laughs> so you need more than that, right? So how much do you really need? And like I said, it's totally dependent on how much activity you've got going on. But honestly, if you're just, if you're someone who isn't extremely active, meaning you exercise, you know, recreationally a few days a week, or maybe you don't even exercise, you can have carbs with every meal. Just, it's all about the quantity and the quality of the carbohydrates that you're having to keep your blood sugar stabilized and balanced. And with food combining, meaning typically when we're eating a meal, we're not just eating one thing. We're not just having a bowl of rice for a meal. And if you are, let's change that up a little bit. Let's have a bowl of rice, you know, with some avocado, with some protein in there, make it a balanced meal. And if you're doing that for every major meal, then your blood sugar is going to be stabilized and your metabolism is going to be functioning much more efficiently. Love it. Love it. So you can have carbs at every meal. It's like the best thing ever. I love carbs. <laughs> well, yeah. And to get back to what you, you know, kicked off with, if we're going to, and divide thing is like, I don't like saying things good or bad because I even think like, you know, like a, a sugar, I have sugar sometimes. Like I don't care. I do it so that, that my blood sugar is still balanced and I don't do it a lot. But I feel like the healthiest people can moderate, not the people who are like, I've been sugar-free for five years because you know all they're doing is thinking about sugar. <laughs> um, but to your point about like simple versus complex or like unhealthy versus healthy, um, I think it's in- important to realize that what really sabotages you is the refined carbs. It's the sugar alcohols, which I'd love for you to talk about before I get to gluten. Um, but it's the it's the refined carbs. It's not the carbs like the rice, the quinoa, the millet, the buckwheat, the sourdough, the Ezekiel. Like no one is going to town on that. Um, so I think that's part Unless of Unless you deprived yourself of carbs for a very long time and and in your mind carbs is a no no, 
then any kind of carbohydrate, I think, even if it's a bowl of brown rice, can be a triggering food. So that can, you know, that has to be addressed with how much depriving have you been doing where basically like anytime you get around carbohydrates, you just like, oh my, it's any forbidden food, right? It's like what you want, you can't have. But, but you're right. Mostly our brains aren't designed to be like, oh my God, I can't get enough of this brown rice. It's so addicting. You know, the dopamine in my brain is just, (laughs) you know, it's off the chart because when you are having refined carbohydrates, you know, things that convert to sugar really fast, there is, you know, people, people often will say I'm addicted to sugar. Like I, I do get that a lot when people come to you. I'm addicted to sugar. Well, I get, I just love it. I just love it. And I'm like, um, I want you to, you don't love it. <laughs> Your body is starving. And then there's some emotional stuff we need to work on, but I yeah. want people to be able to enjoy it. Like, you know, in moderation. So I, but I, yeah, I hear that a, a lot. And again, usually they're not eating enough fat or whatever, but the, in the carbs that they love, it's almost like an overcorrection to, cause to your point, they're not getting enough that they need. I always tell my clients, like, you know, your brain is a glucose hog. And if you don't, if you're not giving that, then you will overcorrect with the more extreme, to your point, like the potato chips and the sugars that light up those dopamine pleasure receptors. And food companies know that. I mean, they've spent billions to engineer to hijack our biology. Um, so I think of it as like, fighting the man by eating whole grains, right? <laughs> and I do, I do think like, a sugar addiction is a buzzworthy thing right now. You are seeing that more and more. We got to do an episode on that and how it's not true. Yeah. Addict sugar addiction, right? So if you think you're addicted to sugar, I wouldn't say, I don't, addiction is a really strong word. And I, but I would say there, there's a mild dependency possibly that your body has been running off of that you can work on with, again, not depriving yourself and eating more whole grains and just allowing carbohydrates back in your life in a really healthy, balanced way. But getting back to, you know, the things that are really triggering. So sugar alcohols, artificial sweeteners, and why are the, why am I putting these things like in the same category? You know, artificial sweeteners, something like an aspartame that's in a diet soda. Let's take um, a nutrition bar, like a quest bar. Those are really, really popular protein bars in, in my field. Um, and the sugar alcohol and the aspartame, very different things, right? But they are doing the same thing to your blood sugar. So what are they doing to your blood sugar? Raising your blood sugar, right? Creating an insulin spike. It's the same thing. You're detecting sweet on your tongue. Your brain is detecting sweet in your body, which is then producing an insulin response, uh, a little bit different than, than sugar in that the aspartame or any other kind of artificial sweetener is chemicals. So then there's a other, whole other slew of why it would be bad for your health. But with sugar alcohols, um, they, are, they can be more naturally derived. They can be derived from plants. So you would think, oh, well, it's a plant derivative, so it should be healthy for me. But in fact, it's, it's really just doing the same thing that any kind of sugar is doing to you, which is just making you go on a blood sugar roller coaster ride. Do you agree, Allie? I totally agree. And I think what you're bringing up is that food companies think, food companies know consumers think food is a mental game, right? So they're like, oh, they think, like, and I used to think like this, oh, this is free, right? Like this doesn't really count. Sugar-free doesn't count. Um, But your body, right, blood sugar and carbs and how nutrition is really a biological game. So it doesn't matter what the food company thinks is the, is the, uh, 
the selling point of their product, right? It's like, what's the selling point to your body? And, you know, from a bl- blood sugar perspective, yeah, not only does it spike your blood sugar, but then your body also thinks like, oh, food's coming. And it doesn't recognize artificial sweeteners or sugar alcohol. So, you know, you start producing stomach acid and it, you, like your hunger goes up because it's like, um, where's the food? And yeah. then that doesn't even touch on how especially artificial sweeteners interfere with your gut biome and also um, the serotonin production in your gut. So there's this whole systemic, um, it's almost like throwing a pebble into the water and it having this like ricochet, you know, would it be ricochet? Is that the right word? Like, um, yeah, like a, 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 ripple, a, ripple a ripple effect. Ripple. Yeah. Well, and also too, I mean, I work with a lot of people who have mood or g- gut issues and they don't realize that those sugar alcohols are also causing a lot of bloating, which then causes a lot of anxiety because you have all your neurotransmitters down there um, in your gut. So yeah, it definitely, um, I, I try to steer people away from them, um, for sure. But then I also like to give them some, you know, alternatives like the coconut sugar. And we'll have to do a whole episode on sugar because we can really drill down good and bad carbs, but definitely giving them foods as they start to feel better. Cause you can't just, you know, not eat sugar or whatever. Um, but I think on the other side of that though, which is not related to sugar alcohols, but I was working with another client on these bars that you were talking about. And she's like, our Lara bar is healthy. And I, and we figured she was a, she's a fast burner. That's what we figured out in our work together. And I said, I want you to look at the, the sugar content of a Lara bar. Yes, it ha- it's all natural, right? But it's dried fruit. So the fiber to your point is gone. We've been talking a lot about fiber. And I said, if you think again, four grams of sugar is a sugar packet. She was like, oh my God. I said, now someone who is a slow burner and has a, you know, a higher carbohydrate tolerance may be able to handle this a little bit better, but you're going to do much better with like a kind bar where there's that there's low sugar. Like most of the kind bars are under five grams of sugar and it's real protein and nuts and stuff like that. And there's fiber in there. And, and there's total fiber. Yeah. And the sweetener is honey, which I read the book of the founder. Did you know honey preserves nuts longer? I was like, that's genius. I didn't know that. Yeah. So to your, so I, I guess I kind of skipped from sugar alcohols to these bars, but I think a lot of these bars that people think are healthy, which is the same like juicing and smoothies, like, so many of these juices, like I was looking at blueprint cleanse. Oh my God. I don't know what the issue is on. Can you, I know on TV, you can't like say bad things about brands, but I don't know if it's our podcast, but if you look at blueprint cleanse, whether you think it's good or bad, some of their juices have like over 50 grams of sugar in them with no fiber. More than a Coca-Cola. Yeah. So I think we have this age of where like companies want, are giving consumers what they think they want. What, what what consumers want, but consumers don't know what they want because of this mental game where your body is operating on a biological game and it needs healthy carbs, not these, the word that comes to mind, yuppie carbs. <laughs> no, it's very true. And I'll use myself as an example. Is none of us are perfect with food and we always could upgrade what we're doing. Myself included. I know Ali included. Anybody in the health and fitness world you know, we're always, we're just like you. We're trying to kind of navigate our own bodies and figure out what's best for us. And, you know, I myself have been eating Quest bars for probably the better part of the last year. Um, They're a newer bar in the market. And, you know, I read the nutrition facts and they're, you know, it's, it's whey protein and it's, you know, on the label, it's four grams of net carbs and it's mostly protein and it's made with stevia. It's also made with erythritol, 
which is a sugar alcohol. So it's not really sugar free in how my body is reacting to it. And I would have one after a workout because it was something really, really easy for me to do in between working with a client and not having a lot of time to eat a full meal or sit down. Sometimes I would just really have it on the go. And, you know, I would get hungry an hour later. And I know, and it's fun. I know this. I work with my clients. I say, if you're hungry an hour after you ate something, you probably didn't eat enough food, you, you know, which is part of it. It's not that many calories or your blood sugar just skyrocketed and then dropped. So that's the sugar alcohols right there. You know, also protein like that in a powder form where it's not coming from nuts or real food, like a meat where your body's not having to break it down and, and actually digest it is going to make you pretty hungry pretty quickly, like protein shakes, that kind of thing. Oh my God. I'm so glad you said that because we're going to have to do a segment on, or an episode on proteins too, because, um, we'll break down all your macronutrients for you guys. Yeah. (laughs) You will be set for the rest of your life. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, until your body changes, which it does. No, I don't want to confuse more people. I think I think the general gist is what I hope people are understanding is that food companies will will capitalize on kind of what's trendy and exploit that. When really, and I've I've actually lost media opportunities because I give some sometimes I give some of the same examples of like healthy foods, and they're like, "Well, that's not new," and I'm like, "Well, real food." is never going to change. Like the food we have (laughs) from nature, I mean, there's so much of it, even though most of us eat. And this is one thing I need to work on is variety. Kind of have the same routine that I eat every, you know, I mean, there's some variety, but not a lot. Um, But the real, what's really, really, um, you kind of have to think about health as opposite day. Like if you want real food, you don't go to a grocery store, right? (laughs) You go to your farmer's market or your garden. Um, But good carbohydrates are good when they are in their purest form, which just means, you know, the rice that you eat, risotto that you eat, um, quinoa, um, pastas and stuff, as long as they have that 100% whole grain. Um, And then we'll do an episode on sugars. Bean pasta. Have you been eating bean pasta? I haven't. OMG. It's my favorite thing ever right now. They have black bean pasta at most grocery stores. Uh, and the ingredients are black beans. That's it. So they've ground down black beans into like a flour and made pasta of it. The fiber content is off the chart. It's about 20 something grams of protein per serving because it's coming from the beans. And it's one of my new favorite things to eat. So if you see bean pasta out there, definitely give it a try. That's amazing. My new favorite thing to eat, um, and it was part of the Clean Eating Reboot, is black rice. It has more fiber and protein than regular rice, and it's so filling um, it's just, it's so good. They have, they serve black rice at one restaurant. Agno in Philly. Agno. Yeah. Shout out to Agno for your black rice. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And it's funny. I, my mom, we, I took her there to eat and she goes, black rice. Like, what is this? Like she was so, she was like, this is real. Is this, you know, did they dye this rice? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. And the fiber content is off the charts and so is the protein content. So but yeah, I think that's like, you know, if and if you're new to this, like stick to the bulk, like go to Whole Foods and go to the bulk food section. Or if you have a, a co-op near you or something, go to the bulk food section and you will see how many wonderful carbohydrate choices that you do have. And when you're out, look for the 100% 
you know, whole grain roll or sourdough um, instead of like multigrain or whole grain. Because when they say that, it means that oh, there's it usually that is usually code for sugar added and fiber removed. Um, so I think that's that's a great place to start. And to Juliet's point, I mean, you need at least two pieces of you know, equivalent of Ezekiel bread <laughs> and a banana if you like them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you definitely, you need carbs to function. You'll feel better. Your cravings will go down for things like sweets and, and any other kinds of refined carbohydrates if you're giving yourself complex carbohydrates because your brain will be give, getting enough glucose to fuel you and not give you cravings. Because usually when you have a craving, it just means that you're, a lot of times it means that you are lacking some sort of nutrients and sometimes a, one of the major macronutrients will make you crave more carbohydrates. So just kind of take a look in your diet and see where are you carbophobic if you are at all, <laughs> like I was at one point. Look at the that the bars you're eating, look at the products you're eating, see if they have sugar alcohols in them. Are you eating real food, you know? And if you, if you aren't, try to address that and start to eat some real food. Yeah, yeah. And I, I you know, I often I find clients and they're doing this unconsciously. And in, in, again, it was something that I myself totally did. But we're always looking kind of for the next new thing or the shiny thing because get, eating real foods is takes fundamentally more effort at first, right? You have to learn to cook a few things. You have to find different things. You, it's it takes more effort up front to just accept that it's like, all right, I have to like cook my rice or or whatever it is, right? Rather than just going for the pirate booty, right? Yeah. Or or finding, I mean, there are even like healthy whole grain choices like that. Um, or even figuring out your blood sugar in general. I it it is like there's no way around it. It takes more work up front. It takes experimenting a little bit. It takes willing to be un, be uncertain for a little bit. But you will save so much time in the long run. And all of this stuff. Food should be simple. If it's if it's becoming more complex, then you're probably on the on you know I don't want to say the wrong path, but you're probably not headed on a productive path. So you're just probably feeling very overwhelmed yeah. by all the things that you're reading and all the articles and all you know all of the magazines. It's just, you know it, it's overwhelming. It but is. One, one thing I was thinking about, Ali, just as a side note, is every January with. Um, our studios, we do a carb cleanse, we call it. And in my carb cleanse that I give people, there are carbs on it. And people are always, people are like, wait a minute, why am I eating carbs on a carb cleanse? And I'm like, because you're not, you're cleansing yourself from eating refined carbohydrates, you know, coming from all the holidays, Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, Christmas, you know, the latkes and the mashed potatoes and the breads and the, and the, and the cakes and the, in the pies. You're coming off of that, and I want you to focus on eating like a real whole grain and you know vegetable carbohydrates. And they experience weight loss. They experience feeling lighter, less bloated, and they're still eating carbs. But I do call it a carb cleanse, which is you know it's so ironic. I'm like you're eating carbs on a carb cleanse. <laughs> we we'll, we should put that in the show notes if people want to join or yeah. you know, participate. So we'll put that in the show notes. You know, and one thing you, you, I'm looking as we, you know, talked about this episode, you said that paleo, um, they're now allowing white rice. I had no idea. I know. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't have anything negative to say about the paleo diet. You know, it is, it is what it is. I'm not an expert on the paleo diet, but paleo has definitely changed over the years from being something where they didn't allow you to have any kind of grains at all 
to now they're saying white rice is perfectly acceptable. And they're really actually condoning it, especially for the athlete, for needing some fast carbohydrates, fast burning carbohydrates to, to give you like good sense, good source of fuel. And I don't know about you, but white rice, I think is fine as long as it's not bleached Chinese food, white rice, you know, like a ba- white basmati rice, all that, you know, it's, it's a, na- that's a natural kind of rice. I've told clients that they can eat that because especially whole foods in their freezer section, they have pre-made um, white rice and brown rice. It's not instant. Instant rice usually means the fiber has been taken out, which is why I can cook so quickly, but it's whole grain rice pre-made. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I can eat white rice. And I'm like, when you look at the fiber content between white and brown rice, it's one gram difference. Like as long as you have your healthy fats with this, it's going to be fine. So yeah, I totally, I'm like, yes. Like, and they're like, you know, and, and again, they're a little bit skeptical until they eat it and then they feel better. And then the proof is in the, is in the, the non-sugar-free pudding. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it, that opens up just another, like, another option for you, right? White rice and brown rice have completely different tastes completely different textures. So it's like eating two different kinds of foods. So how amazing is it that you have the option to be like, do I want white rice tonight or do I want brown rice tonight? You know? I know. And white rice goes so much better with Indian food, which I love. I know you love Indian food. I know. <laughs> Ali and I can eat Indian food together <laughs> very well. I love it. So we're, uh, we're I want to say a little bit about gluten. We're at 50 minutes. So I'm going to make this, we can do a whole other episode on it, but is gluten good or bad? The basic answer is it depends, <laughs> which is uh, so annoying. I know. Here's how I approach it with clients. You know, when I am looking at their health history first, I am looking for a bunch of different things. I'm really good at connecting dots um, and asking questions that none of their other providers have asked them. But what I really look for is if there's any sort of inflammation, mood issues, um, family history of autoimmune that led to death and that they're now experiencing, you know, hair loss or joint pain that won't heal, arthritis, um, any of that kind of stuff. I'm always looking at is gluten good or bad for them from a health perspective. For the general population, I think it it can feel very extreme to eliminate gluten. So what I recommend to people is to sticking to the the grains that um, have less gluten in them. So that is, I mentioned sourdough earlier. The fermentation process of sourdough starts to break down the gluten in bread, making it easier on your digestive system. So I really recommend that. Um, I recommend rye. Rye has less gluten than wheat does. And, you know, we could do a whole thing on how wheat has um, been frankenfied and <laughs> not quite the same amber waves of grain we used to sing about <laughs> in elementary school, if, if you're listening to this in America, or if you, if you live in the United States of America. Um, so rye, rye, sourdough, and spelt. Spelt is in the wheat family, but it has a lot less of a lower gluten content. I recommend people start there. But then I also recommend one of the things that they've discovered is that it isn't the gluten that is irritating people as much, but it's the pesticides that it's grown in. And so I really recommend if you are going to do wheat, make sure you buy organic. Um, There's a lot coming out. And if, if a little is coming out, you probably know a ton has been buried. <laughs> but about the, and I always pronounce the chemical wrong. Is it glyphosate? Is that, am I saying that correctly? Um, but that is a lot of what, there's a new hypothesis that that is why this radical increase in gluten sensitivity. Now, another thing too, there was, a, there was some research that just came out that explained why people may have gluten sensitivity. 
And I want to bring up this point because this is really, some people think it's a fad diet. Some people think it's an easy way to lose weight. Um, people do it for, and there's been a lot of, you know, hysterical things done in the media. I actually wrote an op-ed piece for Philly Mag. It's on my website about how gluten-free haters have it all wrong. Um, but here's the thing. A lot of people, and, and I know we're all so conscious of privilege these days, and we don't need another privilege, but to be to feel bad about, at least my clients are very socially conscious, but there's health privilege, okay? Some people do not have any health issues. Maybe they just want to lose weight. Maybe they, they feel fine eating the standard American diet. But for the rest of us, we are the, I think of myself as the canary in the coal mine, <laughs> right? Like I had irritable bowel syndrome. I was depressed. I had acne. I had asthma. I had all this stuff that I like tried Western medicine and nothing worked. And, you know, because they have not fully proven that gluten intolerance or gluten insensitivity exists yet, yet I've experienced relief rather than thinking this is a fad, wouldn't you be curious as to what happened? <laughs> so I just share that because a lot of my clients are like, you know, some people want to test and they and that will help them know that they definitely, if gluten is good or bad for them, you know, my sister has celiac, it's clearly bad for her. Um, but I really think this is why knowing your own patterns and how food affects you is so important because for some people, the medical community may not have anything definitively figured out, but there's new research every year, some for gluten sensitivity and intolerance. And there's even a difference there that we can get into in a different episode if people want. Um, but then some people just aren't affected by it. But if you are, that's okay. And it just because the medical community hasn't quite identified or figured it out yet does not mean that it's, does, it's not real and it's not all in your head. So kind of went off on a little tangent about health privilege, but I just really get frustrated when people feel, you know, intimidated about saying I'm, I need to be gluten free or, you know, I'm trying gluten free. I don't know yet. Um, this, this idea of wellness is pioneering ground. Um, we, we know what doesn't work, <laughs> right? What we've done. I mean, certain things with gluten in them may affect you more than other things with gluten in them, which is, which is for me, I can tolerate gluten. I've, I've found over the years and, and after being completely off of gluten, I've come back to gluten and and can tolerate it. Nothing happens to me. So that's great. Yeah. So I'm a testament to that. Not everybody has that, but I think it, but there are certain things that have gluten in them that may affect me. And, and it might be the amount of gluten that's in there. It might be other things that are in there. You know, you have to look at the labels because it's not just always gluten that can be, you know, upsetting your body. There are, there are other things too. Soy, you know, there, you know, there's a lot of things that it might not just be gluten, but that's, that's a great point too. And, and, and that's why, Oh, the sooner you get started on knowing what works for you, the easier the easier things get because you're like, huh, you know, uh, that's interesting. Like I, um, when I, when I went out the other, this was like months ago, I ended up getting pad thai at a restaurant, which is gluten free, but I had it had tofu in it, and I got the worst headache, and I forgot. And I was like, what is this from? Did I get glutened? Because when I've been glutened in the past, I either get like a rash or a headache or something. And then I was like, oh my God, you know, I had tofu like a month ago and got this same splitting headache. And it was like, oh my God, I, I hadn't been gluten, but I had, it was tofu. Like I just can't, I don't do what, it doesn't make me feel full anyway. So I, I never eat it. But like, I used to think, oh, I can have a little bit of tofu. And I'm like, no, I cannot. Like it just gives me a headache. So I'm so glad you said that. It's, and, and I will say too, to our point about eating real whole food, the more you do that, the less just sensitive you are in general because your body's more resilient. It has more 
resources to, you know, no one's going to ever be 100% clean eating or like, you know, and that's not even good. We, your body needs to have some resilience. It needs to develop, you know, <laughs> some toughness. So it, but it helps. Well, we can talk about this another time because I feel very resilient at this point with food. Sometimes I think I do have an iron stomach, although I'll say this, that your emotional state affects your digestion so, so much. At least for me, it has. And I've always been a, the kid who, when, when I was nervous, would get an upset stomach. So if you're in a, a distressed state, sometimes it doesn't even matter what foods you're eating, you're going you're gonna to feel off and, ups, and have an upset stomach. But that's not, my point was to say that even though I have resilience around food, I definitely need to build up my resilience around these fucking holidays because <laughs> Thanksgiving and the Christmas dinner I'm about to have with, you know, with, with my boyfriend's family, I am guaranteed a stomach ache. And I, and I, and, and guys, this has been for years for all the listeners out there. Maybe Allie can help coach me through this, but I keep saying like, I'm allergic to Thanksgiving. That's all I have to say about it because it's not really any particular food that I can really pinpoint, point it. So I'm allergic to holidays. Let's just say that. And uh, maybe it's family. I don't know. Maybe I need to dig a little deeper, but anyways, <laughs> side note there guys. But, uh, yeah, something I'm allergic to holidays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If it wasn't the end of the episode, I would totally like, you know, we'll, work on this. Well, you know what? We'll have another episode and we'll release it around, around Christmas and Allie can dig a little deeper with me. She can maybe health coach me for a few minutes for you guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know what? Our next episode, episode number four is going to be on our relationship to food. So we can talk a little bit about that. That'll be, that'll be really wonderful. So yeah, we won't leave you a cliffhanger. <laughs> yes. All right. So we, you know, we wrapped up. There's a lot to talk about carbs. We will definitely um, have future episodes about sugar and carbs. And any questions you have, please reach out to us. We have so much great content coming up and we're happy to answer all of your questions. So if you have any questions, you can email Juliet, Juliet at unitefitness.com or you can email me, Allie at AllieShapiro.com. And we will definitely incorporate your questions into our content. Also, we would love to ask you for a review on iTunes. It does a lot for the podcast in its first couple of weeks if it gets some really great reviews. Of course, if you think it's great. <laughs> We're not holding a gun to anyone's head, but we would love, we would really appreciate. And in fact, we have a little contest going on. So for every person who enters a review and sends us their email, they're going to go into a lottery and Juliet and I are each going to pick out one person and they're going to get a free food diary review from us. Uh, a week's food diary review. We'll spend 30 minutes with you helping you tweak things. So definitely uh, give us a review on iTunes, good or bad. <laughs> Honest, let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, follow, and also follow us on social media. We are both on Instagram, Twitter. I'm at Juliet Unite. And then you can find Ali at Ali M. Shapiro. Yes, and Juliet's carb cleanse will be in the show notes. So thank you all for listening and we'll be back again next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Insatiable Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can connect with us on social media. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Juliet Unite and Allie at Allie M. Shapiro. M stands for Marie. Please feel free to also email us any questions. We would love to hear from all our listeners. You can reach us at Allie at AllieShapiro.com and Juliet at UniteFitness.com. We'll see you next time. 